And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. Welcome to the Force 5 Podcast. I'm your host, ex-video store clerk, wannabe screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg. And if I sound differently, I do apologize. I've been battling a pretty wicked cold this week, and my sinuses are currently under duress. So I've got the hot tea next to me here. I'm pumped full of Dayquil, so I'm ready to do this, even if my brain is a bit foggy. I've also got a new mic that I'm trying out for this segment, so bear with me if it sounds a little different. Today's guest is Bill from The Way Radio Show and Podcast, and we're going to be talking top five survival game movies. A good example of this is The Hunger Games, a movie in which there's a game that you either win or die, which was a pretty fun topic to research. Before we get to uh, some of the social media stuff from last week and uh, a couple of things that I consumed this past week, I've got some cool announcements first off. The Force 5 podcast is officially an entrant in the 2021 Cinemonic Podcast Festival, so that's going to be popping off here uh, on the 15th. So I may be up for an award. We will see how that goes. Uh, also, I've been invited to contribute at bnsaboutmovies.com, which is a, uh, a website that has reviews for a bunch of the movies that I'm into. So I'm going to be doing some reviews over there as well. So if you want to see more of my work, head to bnsaboutmovies.com. Com. Last week, I talked with Tim Viegas from Think Inclusive as we went over top five characters with disabilities, and we had a lot of great suggestions from listeners across social media. Friend of the show, Moose, said Daniel Day-Lewis's character Christy Brown from 1989's My Left Foot, which I still haven't seen, but someday he's going to break me down and make me watch it, and I'm sure I will thank him for that. Ben McIntyre says Leo as Arnie from What's Eating Gilbert Grape gave one of the most convincing performances I've ever seen, even by his own standards. My Uncle Jim hit me up on Instagram as well and said Philippe from The Untouchables. Great pick there. Lots of people on Reddit chimed in as well. Nelly Bellissima says, uh, depends on where you're drawing the line here, but Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road might count. Uh, absolutely she does. A great pick, and I am ashamed that I forgot her. Uh, Grassic Nonfiction says Silver Bullet, main character is a boy in a wheelchair trying to expose a neighborhood werewolf, a great Stephen King movie, and a good call there. Jellyfish Jumpy 5737 says Professor Xavier is a great one. Connie from The Walking Dead show, the same actress, also steals the show in Eternals as Makari, and she's actually deaf. All the Reservations says Do we count Edward Scissorhands? Uh, yeah. The dude's got scissors for hands. I would consider that a pretty big disability. And finally, Zoro Means Fox says, One of the greatest performances I've ever seen was Moon So Ri as the invalid with cerebral palsy in the powerfully emotional South Korean film Oasis. So uh, that's a film that I've never heard of. So thank you, Zoro Means Fox. All right, I did watch something this week, but first, I'm going to start with a first on the Force 5 podcast. It's a graphic novel review. Yes, a book review, but bear with me. It does have a direct tie to one of my favorite Christmas classics, Die Hard. A Million Ways to Die Hard is a graphic novel that takes place on the 30th anniversary of the Nakatomi Plaza disaster that saw many innocents die, but many other lives saved due to the heroics of one John McClane. To commemorate the event, there's going to be a mural unveiling that will display those lives lost. Many of the people involved are there, Mr. Takagi's son, Holly Gennaro, but of course, John is nowhere to be found. He's at a bar, getting 
drunk. While getting set up for the event, Holly and Takagi are taken hostage with one request. John McClane needs to come to the tower, alone, or the whole thing comes down. This graphic novel starts interestingly enough, until John gets to the tower, which also feels really rushed. We're then introduced to someone that McClane first encountered as a young hotshot NYPD officer. We flash back to a serial killer named Mr. Movie Phone. Yes, Mr. Movie Phone. Someone who kills people using plots from movies. The first ridiculous example we get is a man in a park who was forced to hold a boombox over his head like Lloyd Dobler, and when he couldn't hold it any longer, his girlfriend was shot right in front of him. Seriously, this sounds like a script that a new USC screenplay program entrant would submit for their first project that let everyone know that he probably shouldn't quit working at Applebee's just quite yet. And if it sounds stupid now, it only gets dumber. McLean somehow survives an explosion that happens mere feet away from him and escapes a crumbling building because Mr. Movie Phone rigged the fucking Nakatomi Plaza with Home Alone-style traps. He then goes on an unchecked manhunt with an FBI agent for the guy, only to find him at an abandoned house. McLean follows him into a room, only to fall into a pool of water where there's a shark waiting for him because Jaws. Yes, a great white shark that this Mr. Movie Phone somehow transported to an abandoned house after spending who knows how much to create an in-ground tank for it. The artwork is actually pretty nice by Mark Teixeira, who I am familiar with from his run on a few Punisher books back in the 90s. Although I have to wonder how many times he looked down at the page and thought, really? A fucking shark? Unfortunately, everything about the story by Frank Thierry is dumb as a sack of hammers. I was so intrigued to get more of the McLean story, but this book is bad. It is so bad. That's a million ways to die hard. If you're a glutton for punishment, go for it. I thought it was horrible. I also got a big fat vinegar syndrome box in this week, and the first one I cracked open was the 1998 direct-to-video classic starring the dragon, the dice man, and the hammer. It's whatever it takes from 1998. In a world where muscle and violence our big business. Steroids. You use the stuff the right way, you'll triple your strength. Guaranteed. He's found a new enemy. You and I can make some serious guys together. A new love. You gotta trust me and believe me when I tell you. Polly's gonna regret we ever met. And a new way of life. There's a line between the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> that could cost him his own. After a drug bust goes terribly wrong, the DEA sends Neil DeMarco and Dave Minardi on a makeup assignment to go undercover to investigate a super steroid that's making its way through the world of wrestlers and bodybuilders. We start off with Neil, played by Don the Dragon Wilson, painting while shirtless. He smashes his painting and throws a tantrum and then tries to kill himself, leading us to wonder, was the painting really that bad? Fortunately, we're then introduced to the real reason he's suicidal. During an undercover operation at a warehouse conveniently filled with soft bags and empty cardboard boxes, we meet a greasy, drug-dealing maniac named Roland. Neil and Dave, played by Andrew Dice Clay, and his revolving closet full of leather jacket variants have been staking this lunatic and his boss out for eight months. Now, I've seen a lot of scumbags in movies, but Roland is definitely up there with the worst of them. One of his highly irresponsible ex-girlfriends comes to his drug warehouse looking for a hookup with her 13-year-old daughter, and he agrees to hook her up, if 
he can deflower her kid. And the mom is like, she's only 13. And he says, 13 is my lucky number. And the mom's just like, take one for the team, kiddo. Of course the dragon isn't going to let that shit slide. So he breaks cover and causes a huge shootout. Unfortunately, during the ruckus, the little girl does take a bullet and he's pretty broken up about it because she does not live. And rightfully so, because he definitely got her killed. But to be fair, he was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So we fast forward two weeks and Neil is back on the job because in the late 90s, nobody cared about mental health. The feds stick these two goobers on a case to go in deep to find out who's distributing a new human growth hormone that's three times more powerful than your normal steroid. The bad guys are led by Uncle Paulie, played by blaxploitation legend Fred the Hammer Williamson, and Kevin, the town's source of the great parachute pant shortage of 1998, who looks like the goofiest version to John Cena's gallant. For the purposes of this review, we'll call him John Weena. As Neil embeds himself into the steroid crew, we get to see some typical direct-to-video fight scenes that would feel right at home on the set of a TV show like Lorenzo Lamas's Renegade. A lot of body shots and broken tables, but no blood and no broken bones. Of course, while he's on the job risking his neck, Andrew Dice Clay is watching everything from the back of a van because the only thing he's fighting is his wardrobe and the urge to smoke another cigarette. As the film goes on, highlights include Don the Dragon Wilson trying to play basketball in jeans to impress a girl, plenty of shots of oiled up men and women, double and triple crosses, a smattering of racist and homophobic jokes, Uncle Polly's obsession with comfortable shoes and delivering a monologue about George Bush going into Panama, and a good old-fashioned junkyard shootout. Now, we've got to talk about Andrew Dice Clay for a minute. There are certain actors who take a bad role and just kind of get stuck in Hollywood jail, but this dude landed in jail immediately after his first movie, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane in 1990, when it absolutely bombed. And that's basically why his filmography consists of shit like Brain Smasher, A Love Story, and Master P films. In 1995, he kind of denounced his Dice Man persona so he could move on to other stuff, but clearly, he didn't. I don't know what the fuck he was doing in this movie. After the initial shootout, in which, while being shot at, he improvs by yelling, Hey, are you hungry? To the dragon, who yells back what the audience is thinking, What? And then he yells, Well, I'm starving! And he jumps into a forklift, and instead of barreling into a strategically placed hot dog stand or something that would have to do with food, he just runs into some cardboard boxes. It's absolutely puzzling. He goes from an outfit that looks like half Fonzie, half mercenary doll stuffed with packing peanuts to literally the same jacket but with no sleeves so he can class it up a bit over a purple turtleneck. And then the Dice Man just kind of disappears for 45 minutes in the middle of the movie and reappears toward the end of the film dual wielding pistols like a fat Chow Yun fat while sliding down an actual slide. Honestly, it's the most entertaining part of the movie, but not the whole coming down the slide part. It's the part where he gets to the bottom of the slide and falls through the floor, but then can't get himself up from the hole. So he's comically hanging there in a position that any normal person could have lifted themselves out of while the shootout goes on around him for literally minutes. Whatever it takes is a brand of stupid that is just slightly entertaining. Andrew Dice Clay is all but worthless in this movie and solely exists to make a few wisecracks and shoot a couple bullets at the end, so if you're here for him, you might be disappointed. But then again, let's be honest, you're not here for him. Don the Dragon Wilson does the heavy lifting here, and he barely lifts. He displays a thousand jump kicks, but they all look slow as molasses. We also don't see a fitting end to John Weena, and the final fight that the film works up to between the two of them was unsatisfying to say the least. On the plus side, we get to see a character sacrifice themselves by spearing someone down an elevator shaft for no reason. I could see why Vinegar Syndrome tossed this one in their VSA line. It's a silly direct-to-video action film, but it's not nearly as entertaining or action-packed as this line typically is. 
If you're looking for an entry point to this series, LA Wars is probably a better starter, although you'll have to pay insane prices at this point. In typical VS fashion, the picture looks pretty good, but oddly, the extras here are lacking on this one, with just two interviews, one by the dragon and one by the hammer. This was the only film directed by Brady McKenzie, and really the only thing written by the screenwriter, so it's safe to say that they either abandoned or were run out of Hollywood. Which I guess isn't as surprising as you might think when you see the credits roll. I blame Andrew Dice Clay. Alright, we're about to get Bill from the Way Radio Show on the line, and it's only fitting that we've got someone with a radio show on today, because today's sponsor is a radio station, W Balls, 187.4 on your FM dial. Tune into the biggest balls of them all with personalities like DJ Salty Nuts and DJ E. Z-Dick, spinning all of your favorite platinum hits from rappers like Connor For Real, Al Pacino, DJ Gusto, B-Rad Gluckman, and B-Rabbit. This week they're unveiling CB4's new single, Straight Outta Low Cash. They're also giving away two tickets to the Style Boys Turn Up The Beef Tour. If you call in and win, let them know the Force 5 sent you for free backstage passes and the chance to meet the boys. That's 187.4 on your FM dial if you're licking. That's W Balls. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. I'm going to apologize first off for the timber in my voice. I am sick for the very first time in a long time. The benefit of starting a podcast during quarantine is that you never got sick, and now a three and a half year old is going to school, and so sickness happens. So bear with me if you hear sniffles and all that stuff. And uh, today I'm joined by Bill from The Way. It's a radio show and podcast that interviews professionals to share their expertise on topics ranging from Stuff like plastic bottles and music production to crime in Latin America, the darknet, and drugs. Welcome, Bill. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Thanks for coming on. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background in radio uh, before we get started? I'm kind of recent, actually, to radio, but for now, I've been doing it for a few years now. Uh, if you're in Connecticut, if you check out 91.7 at noon, you'll hear me there. And if you're in Rhode Island, you'll hear me on 90.3 at 1 p.m. Wednesdays again. And I just joined a club in college, and since then I just became obsessed with it, so I've been following the path ever since. Nice. And uh, your show, The Way, is also available in podcast form wherever you get your pods. What's The Way all about? What's it about? So yeah, it's uh, sitting down with the experts. So I think everybody, such as myself, I love to learn new topics about, like you gave some of the examples. So, but at the same time, I don't want to just talk about topics when I don't know much about them. So I'll do some research and I have the expert, like the person who dedicates their life to the topic on the show. And then like, so it comes from a legitimate background. Well, you're on the air right now with an expert about movies. Um, so what are some of your favorite movies? That's hard because like um, for comedy, first off, I'll say The Hangover. I just love that series. Everybody loves The Godfather. What's um, Benjamin Buttons? I think that's just a very well-done movie. I like that one a lot. I don't have a number one favorite movie. Like, I love Forrest Gump. I love that genre. Well, today's topic was inspired by a TV show, which is Squid Game. For those not in the know, uh, Bill, why don't you tell us what Squid Game is about without spoiling anything? First off, yeah, so Squid Game's, uh, was it, 456 people get selected to participate in this game they say if you win you can get a prize and then the first game starts and then somebody gets shot and then more people get shot and then they realize wait 
if you lose, you die. So <laughs> it's a bit of a so the plot d- dives around that where you have to play those games from when you're a kid, like red light, green light, or they're more uh, Asian culture specified. So like they had to cut these cookies and stuff like that. So you have to get through each stage, and if you win, you get all the money, and if you lose, you die. Yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing today. Top five survival game movies, and there are way more than I originally thought there were when you uh, pass this topic my way. Uh, Just a a lot of really solid movies in this genre. Bill, are you ready to get to the list? I am. You know what's going to happen? Right, top five survival game movies. These are movies that pit people sometimes unwillingly into a game of survival with the promise of something on the other side if they win. I left off one big one off of my list, and I left it off because I've talked about it on the show before. I think only one of my choices have been on a previous list, and I know for sure three I've never talked about before because two of them I watched for the first time in preparation for this topic. So again, thank you for choosing this topic. You've given me some cool movies to uh, to digest. And one of them awesome. I'm going to start with. This is uh, my number five. It's called As the Gods Will from 2014. Oh, that's one of my movies. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, we can talk about it together. Uh, this is basically the Squid Game meets Battle Royale. It is directed by Takashi Miike. It's about a high school that is suddenly plagued by these insane deadly games brought on by bizarre good luck charms from Japan. Uh, and, and just like Squid Game, it starts out with a game of red light, green light. And uh, I'm just going to set the stage for my listeners here. It's just a normal day at this high school, and there's a teacher standing up in front of the board, and all of a sudden, his head pops off, like just pops. And there's no blood. Instead, we get little red marbles that fall all around the floor. And this uh, this doll head, it's called a Daruma head, it's supposed to be a good luck charm in Japan, jumps onto the desk. And it's like the size of a basketball, but it basically outlines the rules and says, this is a game of red light, green light, in which uh, I'm going to turn around, as this head is going to turn around, and there's a button on the back of it. And if you can get to me and touch the button, then the game is over and you win. But if I catch you moving, then you're dead. And uh, it happens almost immediately as two people run for the door and their heads pop, leaving red marbles all over the ground as well. So now it's even harder to move with these marbles on the floor. It's bizarre. There are a ton of different, like, really interesting moments in this with different types of games. It feels like a fever dream. It's adapted from a manga. Before I talk about like the effects and the CGI and stuff like that, why did you choose it for your list as well? First off, while you're saying that, you made me just understand the ending of that movie. <laughs> oh, with the good luck charms? Yeah, like I like that was a theme and I picked up on that, but now I un like it just dawned on me that's why it ends like it does. Wow. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yeah, why did I choose it? It's uh I love the way it was put together. It's entertaining. It's just got a good plot to it. So I guess probably the same reason you chose it. Yeah, it is wildly entertaining. There's another scene that I have to mention. Uh, Actually, it happens right after the red light, green light moment where the students are in a gym 
and they're forced to put on mouse outfits. And the game is you got to put this bell on the collar of a cat. And then the floor of the gym opens up and a huge cat statue, like those good luck charm cat statues, comes out of the ground and starts eating people and like slashing people with its claws. It's so it's so over the top. And while I was watching it, like the effects and the CGI, they look kind of bad, almost like cartoonish. But I think it lends a creepier atmosphere to it. I don't think I have anything on my list that's weirder than this. It's uh, it's like a Japanese saw set in high school with the Squid Game children's game traps. <laughs> yeah, and like so, the cat it also only chases the people dressed up in the mouse. So like some people aren't dressed up as mice. And yeah, that's why I know I die because I would be following like what the gods say. Like if they say put that on, I'm putting that on. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not risking my head blowing up into marbles. So. You're you're still not safe because there are some people that get in the way of that cat, and that cat does not care. Oh yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> I play basketball like in my free time. I love the sport, and I don't see myself making that shot because you gotta like shoot the bell around that hoop around the collar, <laughs> and I have like no hope of that. I guess that's where it's a little bit movie like, where they take some, they take a few really good shots that I'm like, I wouldn't be doing that no matter how hard I tried. <laughs> Of course, yeah, it's that under pressure Steph Curry shots. I think only my boy Moose, who's been on the show before, could make those shots if I was in that kind of danger. And then some guy does, for like basketball people, book night, just did some crazy dunk. So at like the end, this guy jumps out and does some crazy, <laughs> somehow surviving dunk, rebound. Like, it's it's an entertaining movie. Yeah, you really got to see it to believe it. It's uh, 2014's As the Gods Will Takashi Miike is like such an interesting director. I think the first movie I ever saw of his was Ichi the Killer, but he's done all kinds of stuff in all kinds of genres since then, and he's prolific. He just does stuff every year. Does he do that same genre, like that, uh, the killer one you mentioned? Is it the same idea, or does he mix it up? No, it's all mixed up. Yeah, Ichi the Killer is like a very violent gangster movie. He's done video game adaptations. He's done like historical period epics. Like um, I think 13 Assassins is the the one that comes to mind. He's just like, he's done everything you can think of. It's funny because that uh, director who did Parasite, great movie, by the way. Yeah. I remember being a kid going to Blockbuster and I saw this movie titled called Host. Mm -hmm. And... I'd always like it just always caught my attention and then down the road or like lately I've been seeing like I watched like a YouTube rerun or like quick summary of it and it just doesn't look anything like what I'd expect that same director to make. Yeah, you're going to make me feel old here saying that that's one that you used to see when you were a kid because I got a couple here on my list that I used to see from Blockbuster when I was a kid that are much older (laughs) than the host. All right, so that we'll just say that's both of our number fives, as that was on your list as well. Um, so I will roll right into my number four. This is a newer movie from 2019. This film is called Ready or Not. I can't believe that in half an hour, I will be a part of the Ladomus Gaming Dynasty Empire. Uh, Dominion, we prefer Dominion. I honestly can't wait to be a part of your family. There's just one more thing. And then you are officially part of the family. 
So at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? You stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. This is a horror comedy. It's directed by uh, Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett. Stars Samara Weaving, Adam Brody, Mark O'Brien, Andy McDowell, and a couple of other really great people. Essentially, the plot is uh, Samara Weaving plays Grace, and she is meeting her rich fiance's family for the very first time at their huge estate because they're getting married there. They are like board game magnates, and they have this exquisite mansion out in the country, and uh, they get married there. But she doesn't realize that the wedding night has a family tradition that she has to participate in. Every new family member has to draw a game card from this puzzle box from a person named LaBelle on the night of their wedding. So they all crowd around this table and they explain that, hey, you don't know what you're going to get, but we have to play whatever game is whatever game is on the card. And it might be Twister, which could get really awkward with the uh, new in-laws. It could be a game of Monopoly, which could be just torture if I pulled that card. But <laughs> yeah. this one is hide and seek. So she draws the hide and seek card and she's like, well, that's not that bad. And everybody at the table, especially her fiance is like, ah, oh, shit. Because <laughs> she doesn't realize <laughs> she doesn't realize um, I've seen this movie too. You just, it came back to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this is not your typical game of hide and seek. She is given a head start. And as she goes to hide the, the family arms themselves with all of whatever, whatever types of weapons they want and uh, her fiance Alex reveals that his family is cursed, and if they fail to win the game, they're gonna die at dawn. And uh, the only way that they can survive is by killing the newcomer. So it's a it's a really kind of interesting premise, and it's a it's a full symbolism of class on display here, and uh, no more symbolic than when Grace tosses her high heels out for tennis shoes so she can hide. She's great in it, by the way, Samara Weaving. I think she's uh, Hugo Weaving's niece. She's uh, just like, as I was watching her in this movie, it's like she's going to be a movie star. Um, so she's great. It's it's really fun. It ratchets up the comedy more so than the horror. It's not like jump scare horror. It's just more like gore horror. Um, but it's pretty smart, very bloody, and goes to some unexpected places, especially at the end. And I, I just like the house idea. Like, it's a really cool house. It's got a bunch of hidden passages. It's got a goat pit. I mean, if I could put a goat pit in at my house, I'd do it. Oh, yeah. In that goat pit, there's like, <laughs> you always like, there's characters you root for and there's characters you don't root for. There's a young character around there who I'm pretty sure, like, gets the axe or head or something. And <laughs> I must sound, if you watch the movie, I must sound criminal, but I was happy when that kid got the axe or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, there's not many people in that family that, that you yeah. want to see make it to the end, but uh, not everybody is as bad as they might seem. Uh, and the, uh, the ending, like without spoiling anything or treading my words carefully, it has a very satisfying ending when there's a head nod between a few people. Well, two people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised by this one. It seemed like a run-of-the-mill, like, 
Um, it, it just didn't seem like anything special. And I watched, it. I was very surprised by it. So highly recommended at number four, ready or not from 2019. Well, let's uh, get to your number four. Okay. So what's um, King's game? Yes. So the King's game. So basically similar to as the gods will, you have these students that are in like high school sitting in the classroom. And then one day they all get a text from the supposed King saying there's two rules. And you can't quit the game at any time. And if the task he assigns isn't completed, the person the task was directed towards will be eliminated. So everybody goes into school. They think it's a joke at first. Like one kid is supposed to confess his love to a girl. He does. He gets rejected. But they get a text saying the task was done successfully. It's okay. Good job. Next day, a uh, girl's got to kiss a guy. So. The theme, it kind of hints at like, oh, it's a childish kind of person behind the screen. So yeah, they do that task, yada yada. And then the next task comes, they fail it. And next thing you know, the students just don't show up the next day. And then people start to realize, wait, this is actually real. Like we actually are playing with our lives here. This is one I haven't seen. I've never heard of this movie. It has its concept, and a lot of these movies, too, have it. And then, like, towards the end, it has some, like, background lore that, along with, like, a big plot twist that shows up. But it's just, there's, like, so many tasks they have to do. So, like, uh, there's, like, the kissing one. Then there's, um, guy has to sleep with this guy's uh, girlfriend. And once that happens, the boyfriend goes nuts, and then he gets pissed off, and... It's all about trust building and like how much do you trust this person versus that person to not betray you. It sounds really interesting. Um, is there an out to the game? Is there like a, a like is there a certain number of these tasks that need to be done and then the game is over, or is it just like a never ending loop of tasks? It's just to the last person that survives. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, there's no out. Like some people try jumping out windows like to do it themselves, but even that doesn't necessarily work. You're just you're stuck till the end, and you better be that number one. All right. Well, that's The King's Game from 2011. I'm going to have to look that up. I'll have to check it out. That sounds interesting to me. Um. Okay, number three on my list. This one is one of those blockbuster specials that I used to see, and I used to rent constantly when I was younger. I don't know why I was so drawn to this movie, but I loved it. It's from 1994. It's a movie called Surviving the Game. Why would you want to kill yourself? Maybe I like the idea of choosing when I die instead of having somebody else choose for me. If someone offered you a good job, would you be interested? What kind of job are you talking about? We need someone to help us with our hunts out in the wilderness. Are you sure about this one? Oh, I'm sure. Has he got courage? Gentlemen, I would like you to meet our new hunting guide, Mason. Here's a toast to the hunters and a prayer for the hunted. <laughs> <laughs> the hunt begins now. Get out of here! Let's the game Just let me get the door for you. Go, go, go! We're not really gonna hunt him, are we? He's nothing. He's less than nothing. Come on, Mason! This one's directed by Ernest Dickerson. You're familiar with this one? I am not. Okay, uh, this one stars Ice T, Ricker <laughs> Hauer, Charles S. Dutton, and Gary Busey. With um oh I'm gonna talk about a part of Gary Busey in this movie that's just amazing here in a minute. Uh, this like I said it was a continuous blockbuster rental for me. It's about Ice T plays he, he plays this character named Jack Mason who's this homeless dude. He's down on his luck. 
on the same day, his dog dies, his best friend dies, and he's just like, I'm done with this. And he tries to kill himself. And he's saved by this guy named Walter, played by Charles S. Dutton, who pulls him to the side, has a conversation with him while they're walking. And he says, you know, if you had a good job, would you consider turning your life around? And Ice-T's like, yeah, you know, I, I can't find work. I, that, that'd be a start. Yeah. So he offers Ice-T to be an assistant to him and a bunch of his friends as they go on a hunting trip and he will get paid for it. And he agrees because he uh, he doesn't understand what's coming because unfortunately <laughs> they, they get to this cabin, they're in the middle of the Rockies and when they get done with their ceremonial start of the hunt dinner, Ice-T realizes that by assist, they really meant him running for his life and by hunting trip, they really meant hunting trip <laughs> they're oh. gonna kill ice tea it's a bunch of rich white guys trying to take out ice tea the rules of the game are simple you make it to civilization you live if you don't you're dead um, now ice tea has never to me been a great actor but i yeah. think he's pretty solid here as a guy who truly has nothing to lose the villains are all great Howard's always great as a villain but you get gary Busey unfortunately he's not in the movie for that much, but he has this chance at the cabin to deliver this amazing monologue about how he, uh, he raised a, a dog when he was young and then his dad like made him fight the dog to the death. <laughs> it's like oh. <laughs> the craziest <laughs> monologue. And, uh, if I can find it, I'll rip it and put it at the end of the show here. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's got some really great deaths with some typical early 90s one-liners from Ice-T, but there's a great <laughs> moment that's always stuck out to me when Ice-T catches up to the guys, and uh, he's he's evading them with all of his like urban knowledge in this forested area, but he catches up to them, they are on ATVs, and he sneaks behind the ATVs, and he like switches the, he does something with the gas line to the ignition switch. And one of the guys gets on the ATV and he basically turns the switch on and it's like sitting on a bomb. And oh, it, it just blows, blows up. Dudes. Yeah, it blows up. But it doesn't just blow him up. It blows his legs off. So he's oh. just like crawling around with no legs. Um, just a really great scene. Um, and it, I think it's an underrated, pretty fun action movie from the early 90s that they don't really make that many of anymore. So that's Surviving the Game from 94 as my number three. I feel like I see that concept spoofed in like TV shows here and there. So that movie's like the original one to do it. Well, uh, there's a movie from like the 20s. I think it was like 1924 called Most Dangerous Game. And I think that was the original, but there's been a ton of iterations of it. And this is just my favorite of the iterations. Gotcha. And it doesn't like he could be in the forest for months, years. He just needs once he gets the civilization, then the game's over. Yeah, basically. Yep. They're they're on the hunt. And I, like I said, they're in the middle of the Rockies, so it's going to take him a little bit to get to civilization. But if he reaches civilization, he's good to go. Dang. And then he picks up rapping. <laughs> and then, yep, he survived and turned into a rapper. Wow. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, it's it's pretty solid. Number three for you. For me, I have Alice in Borderland. So... Basically, there's these three characters. They're out in a city. They think the cop's chasing them. I forget why. They go and hide. Then when they come out, they realize nobody's... They have basically the city to themselves. Everybody's gone. It's empty. And they slowly find out that they have to go into the... They have like a time limit. 
because if you run out of time, a laser from the sky will shoot you down and kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the thing with all these movies is I try to think, like, how would I do it? How would I be sneaky and get out? But you can't. It's just like all guys and like super technology that you couldn't. (laughs) You're not tricking that. You're screwed. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so they find the first game. Basically, like it's a game with a few other strangers. You walk in a room. You got to pick a door on your left, pick a door on your right. And one will kill you. One won't. You have a time limit. And they have to get through enough doors to get to the other side. Then there's a lot more. So like then... By doing that task, they get the three clubs, I want to say, and other tasks give you different cards, and once you get all the cards, you break free from the games, and you win, but you're competing with everybody, you're playing these wicked, impossible games, and it's just chaos. Is this one animated, or is this one live action? Live action. I know there was like an animated series, too, and they were probably based on like the same thing. It's um, I know there's like TV shows based on this. I've always heard the name and I've always heard of the concept, but I've never seen any of the films or the TV show. So now I guess I got to check this out because the alien laser in the sky <laughs> seems like yeah. something pretty cool. Yeah, now that you mention it. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that a lot, too. There it is. Oh, it's like a series. I only saw the first oh, okay. one. Oh, Netflix. There you go. Cool. So Alice in Borderland, it's a uh, it's available on Netflix right now. My number two is the second of my blockbuster continuous rentals. This one is from 1987, and I was obsessed with this movie when it came out. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as Ben Richards in The Running Man. America's number one action hit is hitting the holidays. Arnold is at his best. Fans start running, says Joel Siegel of Good Morning America. Showtime. The best Schwarzenegger movie since The Terminator, says Michael Wilmington, LA Times. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the running man. I'll be back. The running man. Rated R, now playing. This one is based on a Stephen King novella that he did under his uh, Richard Bachman pseudonym. And it's your pretty typical Arnold late 80s action movie. He's uh, set up. Basically, uh, Ben Richards is a military pilot or he's like he's like a police pilot. It's set in the near future. So he's um, he's flying over a group of protesters and there's a, a massacre by the military. And they use like this deep fake video to blame the massacre on him. And he's called the uh, the Butcher of Bakersfield. And they send him to this prison labor camp. And uh, there he makes some friends. And he and his friends attempt an escape. But it goes wrong. And he is forced to join America's favorite new game show, The Running Man. And the concept of The Running Man is that you have these runners who are all criminals. So the... The crowd always is rooting for the uh, the stalkers and the runner's job is to get from there's like these little sections in this arena and there's like three or four sections. And if you get through all four sections, you earn your freedom. But in your way are going to be this mix of stalkers who are these cartoonish warriors who are going to kill you based on their specified arena. So they each have like a specialty. For example, uh, Sub-Zero is the first one that they encounter. And when they go into Sub-Zero's arena, it's filled with ice because this dude is a sumo wrestler hockey player. Like he's he's on skates. He's got 
a razor sharp hockey stick and there's barbed wire everywhere and uh he's gonna he's gonna skate you down and and murder you (laughs) and then there's another area where there's a dude with a flamethrower and this dude's name is uh fireball and then there's buzzsaw and buzzsaw he he uses of course a chainsaw and he's on a motorcycle the wildest one i think is dynamo who's this giant opera singing fat dude in a full costume and car full of light brights it's like so bizarre and bonkers and uh jesse ventura plays captain freedom and this was one that made my uh top five movies that starred wrestlers as as captain freedom because jesse ventura obviously was in the wwf it's filled with classic Arnold one-liners. It's got a great synth soundtrack. Like there are a few soundtracks that I can think of the movie and hum the soundtrack with no problem. And this is one of those. It's also got the, the orchestrator of everything is Richard Dawson. He plays this game show host of the show. And he is just so great as this overlord villain over the entire show. Uh, just fantastic lines from him great interaction between him and arnold schwarzenegger when they finally meet face to face so the running man from 1987 is my number two it kind of makes me think of like the ancient romans with the Colosseum, but like modern where everybody's just watching the show yeah yeah it pretty much is and oh a while back it was rumored that this was going to be remade by edgar wright and i was like so excited about that because edgar wright is I think he's a great director, and I'd, I'd really excited to see what he comes up with if he does his own version of Running Man. Like the hockey guy, or even the other characters, are they like really strong or powerful? Because I feel like if Arnold Schwarzenegger's on my side, and there's a bunch of us, I feel like we could take them on. <laughs> They're not like superhuman, but they use their environment to their advantage. So if you think about like when he goes up against Sub Zero, he's slipping all over the place because of the ice. And uh, he can't get his balance, and that's why Sub-Zero is getting the better of him. And he has to kind of off these guys in interesting ways, using their environment against them. Gotcha. Wait, so like he has to kill them? Like these are regular people getting killed, or does he just beat the task? He's got to... Well, they're not going to let him get to the other side unless he kills them. So, yeah, (laughs) he's got to make them dead. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. So that's my number two, uh, The Running Man. All right. Every time you say that, I think of that TikTok trend. I I don't know if you know it, but it's like this dance move a few years ago. We got like The Running Man. Yeah, you got like <laughs> shake your hand up and down while like bouncing on your feet, kind of, and running in place. Oh man, I know The Running Man. See, The Running Man was a dance back when I was younger. So um, there were like two dances when I was younger that every kid wanted to master: The Running Man and the Roger Rabbit. What's the Roger Rabbit? You're gonna have to YouTube that after. <laughs> like not the movie? <laughs> no, it's a it's a dance based, I guess, on the movie, but the Running Man dance is not based on this on this movie. Fair enough. TikTok brings a lot of old like there's a few songs, like one's called Buttercup, but they will beat these wicked trends on TikTok from the seventies songs or sixties songs, and then they go on the two weeks later you're hearing it on the radio. Well, I don't have uh, I don't have TikTok, but I respect that they bring back the classics like the Running Man dance. I'll say that. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I see the Running Man. Yeah, it's close to that. It's close to that. All right, Bill. Number two for you. The Werewolf Games, and there's multiple. So this one's called the Crazy Fox Edition. I've never heard of this. 
Yeah. So, what well, Werewolf Games is like? Do you know Among Us? That uh game that was popular last year. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like that where, in this case, there's twelve players. They each get a card, and three of them are called the werewolf. So they'll see on their card is a wolf, and they're and that means at nighttime, they have to kill one of the villagers. And while that's going on, every night, everybody needs to vote one person out for who they think the werewolf is. It's just that, like, voting, somebody dies each night, and the werewolf's killing, somebody dies each night. And then there's a few other cards. So the villagers, one of them has a card that lets them see, oh, they can pick one person each night and see who the person is, like if they're a villager, a werewolf, or someone else. One card lets the person see the identity of somebody who died, what it was, like, oh, they were a villager, they were a werewolf, etc. And one card is a bodyguard, so he can protect, basically, the werewolves got to get into these rooms to kill these people. And the bodyguard basically locks the door, like, they can lock one door, protect everyone but themselves. And why it's called the Crazy Fox Edition, or movie, whatever you want to call it. One of the characters is uh, has the fox card. So basically, if they're alive at the end, everyone else dies. So the villagers and the werewolves basically both want to figure out who this person is and kill that person or else everyone else dies. And that's the protagonist of the movie. This is interesting. I'm looking at. So I like I said, I had never heard of this. So I looked it up while you were while you started talking about it. There are. Eight of these movies since 2013? Eight of these movies. So they must be super popular. I didn't know there were that many. But it's like the reason that Game Among Us took off. Because it's just such a simple, good concept. Where it's like you're constantly... It's like Clue. That old movie Clue. Where you're wondering who this person is, that person is. In this movie, right off the bat, four characters pretend to have one card. The one that lets you identify other people. So like... You don't know which one of them's lying. And this movie, there's a few plot holes, not plot holes, but there's parts where I'm like, why didn't you just like, why would you pretend you're that person? Or why wouldn't you just vote that? Like, why would you like dumb things that people do? Yeah. And like the main character, she's got some plot armor to her, too. And so it's just like little things like that, but still such an interesting concept that keeps you engaged throughout it. Got it. That's the werewolf game, Crazy Fox. There's, uh, let's see, I'm looking at the other ones here. There's werewolf game, The Beast Side, Prison Break, Lovers, Mad Land, Inferno. There's a bunch of different ones. So I guess I'll uh, start at the top with the villagers side and see what see, see if I like it to go further. Yeah, and I wonder how the uh, cards change with each one. Like what makes them different? Yeah, and I wonder if you'd get more out of it if you were if you had played the game before. Oh yeah, that's um it's not a spoiler, but in this movie in the beginning, the fox and one of the werewolves uh were winners from previous games. Oh, okay. And then that comes into the end, but no spoilers. Alright, so start with the uh start with the first one and work your way through all eight of them. Jeez, there's also a series called Lost Eden, so there's a lot of werewolf game stuff out there. Wow. I think I've only seen two of them. I forgot the other one I saw. All right, Bill, number one for me, number one, I found it really hard to leave one off of this list, but I did, again, I had talked about it before, and if I was doing like a true, these are the five best one that would have been on here, but 
I went with a brand new film that I watched in prep for this list. Uh, I was so impressed by this movie. It's a French film from 2021 called Meander. All right, this one is directed by French director Matthew Turi, and it stars Gaia Weiss, and she's really one of the only characters here, so she kind of puts the whole movie on her back. <laughs> so the, the movie starts out, and this woman, she is laying down in the road. Her name's Lisa. She's laying down in the middle of the road, like waiting for a car to come run over her, and a car's coming, and he like slows down, honks the horn, and she kind of like gets up because she's embarrassed and like changes yep. her mind. Well, she think the car wouldn't like look down. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a pretty dark area. It's like kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, she, like anybody would see her, so they're like they slow down, and the guy inside offers her a ride, and so she gets in the car, and as they're driving there's a news bulletin that comes up and it's like, there's this murderer and he's got a cro a tattoo of a cross on his hand. And she looks down and he's got the cross on his hand. And so she, she knows it's him and tries to kind of like play coy, but he knows that she heard that and saw the tattoo. So he attacks her. And then all of a sudden we cut to black. Now, when we come back out of the black, she is in a small metal tube with this very advanced electronic bracelet on her left arm. And uh, the tube is like, it's tiny. Like, you can't stand up in it. You have to crawl through it. Oh, I'm claustrophobic, so I would hate that. Yeah, it's it's definitely an exercise in claustrophobia. So at first, like, she doesn't know where to go, but there's two tunnels in front of her. There's, like, two smaller tunnels in front of her. So she's either got to go on the top one or the bottom one. And she chooses the top one. And now the, the tunnel's split, so she has to, like, army crawl through it. And as she gets about halfway through this segment, it starts raising. And so she has to, like, squirm out the way she came before she gets crushed. Ugh. And, uh, you know, she gets out just in time. And she realizes that there's a timer on this thing for each section. And she needs to get through these various tunnel sections in order to move on in this weird game. So some of the obstacles include uh, like there's a, there's a section of the tunnel where these things pop out and you have a minute to get to the safe spot in that tunnel or else it's going to burn every, anything alive in there. There's one where you start going and then halfway through there's a fan that comes out of the ground and starts like, like a propeller to chop you in half, like comes at you until you, and you have to back up and get through a small space there's one where acid comes from the floor and you have to like balance through the acid. It's uh, It's got some really cool twists in the film. There's a twist about a third of the way in where th they kind of cleaned up some of my early complaints about the film and, and that kind of rectifies that, which I was happy about. It reminds me a lot of Cube. I don't know if you've uh, ever seen the movie Cube, which I think came out in like the late 90s. But um it's got some pretty gory moments. It's got some really heartfelt stuff in the middle, too. There's like a, a definite emotional core as you find out like why she was laying down in the street to begin with. I've seen some varying opinions online because the way that it ends is not 100% satisfying. There's some people that thought it was like a look at purgatory and emerging from that zone between life and death. I kind of thought it was more of a theme of grief and ways of discovering how to like navigate grief and, and get through it but 
however you take it, I really, really loved Meander. Uh, and that is a film from 2021. It still can't be like that grief idea. Like the ending makes it just certain that, oh, it's just this. It's no hidden message. The ending is is definitely ambiguous. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I still I think it's super worth a watch. And uh, Gaia Weiss as Lisa is terrific as somebody who's just like at first she's just kind of scared. And then she's trying to figure shit out. And then at one point she's just like, OK, I got this now. I know what I'm doing. Uh, because there there are um, there are different paths you can take. And she takes one path and ends up like halfway through the movie. She ends up back where she started. So oh. then she realizes, OK, I got to figure out my way through here. And uh, she's able to do that. So that that would be a great like grief analogy, though, because you go through all the effort and you're back to where you started. If you don't go down the right path, there's like something like that. Yeah, and that's that's why I kind of thought it was that. Um, but I mean, there's good arguments on the other side too. And again, I don't want to spoil too much because there's um, there's some definite symbolism at the end. I'll just say that. Um, but yeah, Meander. I thought it was a great. I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was a really good, like, updated cube. It makes me think of the end of Terminator when she's like crawling while that whole thing's closing down, trying to get away from him. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's basically like ninety minutes of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's gonna by the end, she'll have wicked biceps, triceps. <laughs> <laughs> I think in in all of the tunnels, there's only like one or two areas where she can stand up. So she spends basically ninety percent of the movie uh, crawling on her hands and knees. Oh, uh, whenever that comes, get some nice stretching in for a minute or two. Just like, oh, thank God, finally can. My numb, my arms going numb, my legs going numb. Yeah, gotta respect her as an actress. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Bill from the way, number one for your list. Okay, yeah. So I do have a fifth one because since we had the same uh, as the gods will, I have another one that I could substitute for that one. So this one is a little different category, like the other ones. They're well, actually no, it's kind of the same. It is the same. So it's called terraformers. Basically, this one's just like a wacky concept, but I found out after there's supposed to be like a comic book that has like pages on pages on pages of like lore and the movie only covers like 20% of it. But this rich guy goes to some prisoners who do bad crimes and it's either you get killed for your crimes or you get sent to Mars. And... (laughs) Yes, and everybody takes Mars because better than certain death, even though you'll see. Basically, they get sent there thinking they have to, I forget, some simple task. Like, oh, just go collect rocks or something. But (laughs) what they find out is that they've been trying to put life on Mars, so they sent out cockroaches because everybody knows how durable and strong those things are. Like, nothing can kill those things. Yeah. But the atmosphere causes them to evolve super fast. It's just a wacky concept where they're on Mars and they basically have to fight these giant, eight foot tall, jacked, like eight pack bicep cockroaches that. Oh, fuck that. I'm out. <laughs> literally, they got like these big eyes and they're fucking 500 miles per hour. Like when they first see one, there's two characters. They're looking at it and it runs like the flash right behind one character, <laughs> snap the other guy's neck. And then like they turn around like. What the fuck was that? So is there a way out or is it just like you you picked this option so have fun on Mars? 
Yeah, they just kind of kill them. Like, then there's a whole plot of, like, the real reason they're there, which I want to spoil because that's the end. But they just have to kill as many of the, like, basically kill them all. And they're sent there to die because the real plot involves, like, one person or two people or a few people doing this real thing and then coming back safely to Earth. Got it. But these criminals were basically sent to die. And if it wasn't, like, wacky enough, what really makes the movie wacky is they ha- each criminal has this needle. And if you inject yourself with it, you get, like, the power of some insect. So, like, a hornet, you get, like, stingers on your hand or something. Or, <laughs> like, there's this one that lets you stab the monster and, like, you can control its brain. So, like, they become these weird insect. <laughs> it's just such a wacky concept that makes it so entertaining. Well, there's a, a common thread here because the um, the director of this, Takashi Miike, was the guy who directed both of our original number fives as the God's Will. There you go. That's how you know it's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, that's like your replacement number five or is that your uh, number one there? Well, my number one would be the as the God's Will. So I guess that's okay. my replacement number five. And ghoul searching, there's an anime. I didn't see the anime. I saw the uh, live action. Like, in that scene, like, I see an image where it runs and snaps the person's neck. It lets the other guy live. And I don't know why it does that. I'm just so confused about that. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, watch it and see if you can clue Bill in as to why they let him live. That's uh, Terraformers from 2016. Did you have any honorable mentions that didn't make your list or couldn't make your list? I don't remember the name of it, but it's like an American movie where they wake up and they have like these fests on them and you have to kill this. You have Everybody has a score or like a time limit. It's a time limit. Yeah. And only one person can live. And if you kill a person, you get their time. Oh, okay. Yeah. You have to like kill the specific person and it's just... Like, it's a fun concept, keeps you watching it, but it's just one of those movies that's very poorly done. <laughs> Got it. I don't remember the name of it, but if somebody, like, listening and they're like, oh, I know that movie where they're all out in the woods and one of the parents shows up and then there's a plot twist at the end. Honorable mention for the concept, but... All right, I got a couple of honorable mentions here. The one, of course, that I really wanted to mention but uh, didn't because it was on another list was Battle Royale, which I think is just a fantastic movie and is if if we were going with the five best it would definitely be number one uh series seven is a really fun reality show concept where it's like seven people are uh, like a, a handful of people are given guns and they get to be filmed as they hunt down the other people and the last one alive wins the money the game with the david fincher movie with michael douglas and sean penn is really good i think you can put saw in this you know saw is a good series around games of survival yeah saw kept like popping in my head with all these games i'm like what came first the chicken or the egg with this oh the hunt comes to mind too the hunt is another one that's not uh it's not a horror movie but it is a really fun survival movie i I like that one too from what 2020 cool so there are a lot of great suggestions for survival game films you had a lot from overseas i am very interested in checking out some of them i really really want to check out the king's game one 
with the text. Actually, I also want to check out Werewolf Game because, I mean, if there's eight of them, they've got to be interesting. At, at least one of them's got to be awesome. So oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, cool. Bill from The Way. Anything else you want to plug? Obviously, go check out The Way where you can get your podcasts. Uh, anything else you want to plug? Podcasttheway.com. That's where you can find me. You can look up The Way Podcast, too. Um, yeah, Instagram, Twitter, at Podcast The Way. Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. But podcasttheway.com is the easy go there. You'll see a link right off the bat that shows you everything. Or you can go through the website. I got fun YouTube videos, trailers, and all this and that. So yeah, podcasttheway.com. And I would like to plug in the idea that I was watching these movies. I saw Squid Games. And from episode two, I called that big plot twist. So for people who watch are watching it, I called that right from the start, knew about it, and I just want to pat myself on the back for that. Nice job, Bill. What are your favorite survival game movies? Let me know on social media, at Force5Pod on Twitter and Force5Podcast on Instagram, and your comment might just make it into the next show. Again, if you want a peek at what I've been watching and what I might be reviewing on next week's show, hit me up on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com backslash force 5 Of course, if you liked what you heard, please review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your friends to listen as well. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some great survival game movies. I know more about you than you think, Mason probably do (laughs) but i don't know shit about you well ask me something ask me anything you want all right how'd you get that fucked up scar up under your eye i refer to that as my birthmark on my eighth birthday my father brought me a bulldog a fat little bulldog i named him prince henry stout he was strong he would chase my pet turkey he would chase squirrels up the tree i trained him i raised him I fed him, I groomed him, I took care of him. I love that dog. I love that dog. More than anything in the world, I love that dog. My father gave me a handful of cherry bombs and M80s and said, you're going to train this dog to be a protector. So every Saturday afternoon, I got behind a little dummy my dad built, and I'd toss these cherry bombs and M80s at the dog. Boom, boom! That dog was scared at first, but after a while, he got angry, and he would come at the dummy. He'd get the dummy and rip it apart. Head was off, shirt was gone. So, 13 years old, birthday time, got me a 12-gauge shotgun. (laughs) We're going hunting. I was so excited. We went out in the clearing in the woods. My dad laid his gun down, took my gun and laid it down and said, son, today you're going to learn to control your emotions. You're going to do things that some men are unable and unwilling to do. Follow me. I followed my dad. We went around a clump of trees. There's a little corral built. There's Prince Henry Stout chained in the middle of the corral. My dad took out a pocket full of cherry bombs and put them in my hand and said, get in the crowd. Here's a lighter. I want you to light those cherry bombs and throw them at the prince. You're going to face manhood. You're going to fight that dog to the death. He's going to kill you or you're going to kill him. Now! Boom! He was on me. He was on me like flies on shit. I had no chance. 
I got my arm up between his teeth and my neck. Whomp, went down in the mud, rolled over, rolled over. That dog is fighting and biting and scratching and kicking, and I'm screaming and crying. I'm grabbing him around the head. I stand up, fall with my weight on it. Here's neck break. He's dead. He's not breathing. He's not yelping. He's not biting. I'm covered with blood. I stand up. I wipe the blood off. I lick it. My dad says, welcome to manhood. That's why this is a birthmark. Do your patients know about this story? <laughs>